0: Amen. Perfect. Will you join me in prayer this morning? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ever since I first began writing curriculum and preaching a little more regularly, I have discovered that I really enjoy focusing on certain books of the Bible in order to get a better idea of their context and the way they relate to the books that come before and after them. Earlier this year, you may remember, we looked at an Old Testament book, Jonah. And so it seems appropriate that for these five weeks, we focus on a New Testament book, more specifically, a letter. Our communications department here at the church is amazing, and they helped coin our series title, Diving Deep. I think I keep saying like deeper dive, or it's, look, diving deep. And I'm sure many of you may have noticed that throughout the year, Pastor Chris in the Sanctuary and I have been preaching pretty regularly on the same series and text. This didn't just randomly happen. We made a conscious decision to do this. It was intentional because we wanted to bridge the gap between the modern service and the traditional service. We wanted people to feel free to jump back and forth as they felt and as their spirit led them every morning. That being said, there will be weeks where we stray from one another. This is one of those times. My goal for this series in the Modern Worship Service is that we actually do a Diving Deep series at least once a year and focus on a different book in the Bible. So if there's a specific book you like or you want to know more about, this is my blanket invitation to let me know, and we'll see if we can fit it in in the coming years. Because today is the very first week of our series, we're going to spend a lot of time this morning looking at the history around 2 Corinthians and its context. It's going to be fun, y'all. For this series, I chose the second letter to the church at Corinth. Yes, some may say it would make sense to start with the first letter to the Corinthians, and maybe it would have, but the second letter of Corinthians gives us this unique understanding of Paul that we don't get in any of his other letters. So I think it will be cool for us to start with the second letter first. Don't worry, we're going to get a lot of our context and history from the first letters, so we'll get a complete picture of the church at Corinth. And before we get too far into this, in the United States we uniformly say second Corinthians even though when you look at it it looks like 2 Corinthians not a big deal. If you want to say two Corinthians, you totally can. Apparently, in my research, I learned that in the UK, they do say two Corinthians. So whatever works best for you, I encourage you to do that, but that's just a little history. And honestly, we would all be better off not referring to this letter as second Corinthians anyways, but instead calling it letter D with fragments of letter E. How's that for a teaser? I'll circle back to that, don't worry. Let's begin this morning, though, with setting the scene. The letters to the Corinthians, the first and second letters, they are two of seven undisputed letters of Paul. This means that scholars believe Paul himself only for sure wrote seven of the New Testament letters. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, and, of course, everyone's favorite, Philemon. All the other letters in the New Testament are believed to be written by other disciples or followers of Jesus who wrote under the pseudonym of Paul, but they're really written by someone else. Now, I hope this doesn't shake your faith too much because all of these letters are still really important. They're included in the Bible after all. But it's important to remember as we jump into this particular letter that we know with certainty that Paul is the author. And as we hear more about Paul and his own trials, and as we gain insights about who he is, we will be able to get this full picture of a passionate man who dedicated his entire life to sharing the news of Jesus with the world. And the church at Corinth had a special spot in this man's heart. Here's our history lesson. Corinth was destroyed in 146 BCE, completely demolished. But it was rebuilt and established as a Roman colony in 44 BCE. Dr. Jamie Clark Soles says this: Corinth was a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-religious place, not unlike our own. It is in Corinth that Paul establishes some of the very first house churches. Paul's first visit to Corinth is estimated to be around 50 CE, and it's believed that he stayed there for about 18 months as these home churches were started. I made us a timeline. Are y'all so excited? Great, let's look at it. This is a brief overlook of Paul's relationship with the Corinthians and why this letter in particular is best referred to as letter D and E. Paul first visits Corinth, and that's when those house churches are established, like I've mentioned. And then we know that Paul went to Ephesus. While Paul was in Ephesus, he wrote this letter that we are calling letter A, It was a warning letter to the church at Corinth. He had heard rumors that even though he started those first churches, that the Corinthians were not really doing what they should be doing. So he sent a warning letter. However, we don't have this letter. It's referred to throughout 1 Corinthians, but we don't actually have the text. So that's why it says lost. Letter A was lost. Then we know that there was a second letter, letter B. We know it exists because we have it in our Bibles. That's what 1 Corinthians is, letter B. After that letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul visits Corinth for a second time. We see reference to this visit in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, we also hear Paul reference time and time again this letter that he calls harsh or a letter of tears. But we don't have what he references anywhere. So we're led to believe there was actually a third letter, letter C, that was also lost. Are y'all with me? If you're into history, yes. If not, it's cool. Just zone out for a minute. I'll pull you back in. Then finally... Paul shows some remorse at sending this harsh letter, and that's what we get in 2 Corinthians 1 through 9. So, in that letter, Paul, we are going to dive deeper and see, he offers this remorse, he references where he's messed up. But then, right after the ninth chapter in 2 Corinthians, the voice of the letter changes. The references that were made earlier in the book are weighted differently later. So scholars are pretty much in agreement that chapters 10 through 13 of 2 Corinthians were actually written a separate time from a different letter and that we're just getting bits and pieces, that maybe these were merged together as the letters were sent from house church to house church. And then we know through Romans that Paul actually visited the church in Corinth a third time. Whew. It's a lot, right? <laughs> if you don't care, that's cool. But if you do care, this is something that we need to take into account as we dive deeper into this book, that Paul has had this tumultuous relationship with the church at Corinth. It is totally okay for us here and now to call First and Second Corinthians... First and Second Corinthians. That's what they're listed in uh, in the Bible. They're the only letters that we have a record of, and it makes sense to refer to them as First and Second. So let's dive deeper into Second Corinthians together. The first three chapters of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, or letter D if you're following along, they are Paul's attempt at reconciliation. Now, why would Paul need to reconcile his relationship with the church at Corinth? There are a few reasons, and we find them in this scripture. The first is in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 2, 2. God is the one who establishes us with you in Christ and who anointed us God also sealed us and gave the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. I call on God as my witness. I didn't come again to Corinth because I wanted to spare you. It isn't that we are trying to control your faith, but we're working with you for your happiness because you stand firm in your faith. So I decided for my own sake, I wouldn't visit you again while I was upset. If I make you sad, who will be there to make me glad when you are sad because of me? You'll learn Paul has a funny way of apologizing that isn't really an apology. But here, Paul identifies the first kind of break of tension between he and the Corinthians. He told them he would come visit Corinth, and he doesn't. He doesn't deliver on a promise that he made to this community, And because of this, the Corinthians feel abandoned and they feel misled by Paul. He also sent them that harsh letter we talked about earlier, too. Okay, let's read about more tension. Who doesn't love a good tension story? We're going to read 2 Corinthians 2. Um, Let's see what I have. I have 2 through 4, but we already read 2, so let's read 3 through 4. That's why I wrote this very thing to you so that when I came, I wouldn't be made sad by the ones who ought to make me happy. I have confidence in you that my happiness means your happiness. I wrote to you in tears with a very troubled and anxious heart. I didn't write to make you sad, but so you would know the overwhelming love that I have for you. Paul and this community at Corinth have a history They've had these things that have happened where Paul doesn't deliver on his promise or where the Corinthians disobey everything they've learned about the Christian faith. They have a clear history. And when you have history, often you have a lot of baggage and a lot of drama develops over time. When I was about 17, a Texas country band, cross-Canadian ragweed, came out with a song called Seventeen. The main chorus of that song was, you're always 17 in your hometown. Anybody heard this? Yes, some of you, oh, there we go, yes. So the idea that you're always 17 in your hometown. As a 17-year-old listening to that song, I thought to myself, oh gosh, I hope that isn't true, but there are true aspects of it, right? People have in their minds certain ideas and beliefs about each of us based on only one moment in time. Even Jesus, when he returned to his hometown, he was met with resistance and disbelief. I spoke with a woman last week who told this story of teaching her son how to drive, and she told me that she told her son as they sat in the car for the very first driving experience that he was going to have to be patient with her because when she looked over and saw him behind the wheel, she thought of him as a toddler, her toddler, sitting behind the wheel of a big car. She needed time to come to terms that he had grown up so much and seemingly so quickly. Sometimes it's hard for us to get past certain moments moments or instances or to realize that things have really changed or that that person isn't the toddler anymore or that person isn't the 17-year-old anymore. Or that maybe Jesus, that little boy, has turned in to a great prophet. Paul is up against this. While Corinth isn't his hometown, it is the place where he nurtured and prayed for these first followers in these house churches. He fed into this community. And Paul has also reprimanded them. He's let them down. He often finds himself having to be the voice of reason and conviction. So while Paul's done really great things in this community, they're only remembering those bad times. Those times he let them down and sent them harsh letters. They see Paul as an enforcer. And because of some other things that have happened, this community at Corinth also is entertaining the possibility that Paul may be a fraud. And in the same way, Paul is struggling to see this community as more than a community that keeps on straying, that keeps on pushing back and being defiant, this is why reconciliation is such a huge theme of these first three chapters of 2 Corinthians. It is imperative in order for Paul and this community to move forward that they engage in reconciliation. I was listening to an interview on NPR recently and they were discussing the mass graves of indigenous children that were found at these indigenous schools throughout Canada from the early and mid-20th century. And as they talked about this horrendous situation, something the interviewee said really struck a chord with me. She mentioned that the Canadian government is seeking reconciliation with the indigenous people, but there cannot be reconciliation when there was never conciliation to begin with. Reconciliation is only possible if people were on the same page once before and then something changed. Instead, the indigenous people and the Canadian government are dealing with an issue of straight-up conciliation. They have to begin from scratch. They have to build a foundation where one didn't exist. I found this idea super helpful as I was thinking about Paul and the Corinthians. They were truly seeking reconciliation. They had conciliation because Paul came and nurtured them and they had these very first house churches. But along the way, Paul drifted away and the Corinthians drifted away. And as we looked at that timeline, that seems to be what happens. They come together and then divide time and time again. In order for Paul and the Corinthians to move forward, they have to admit their mistakes. They have to commit together to doing better, it sounds a lot like our faith, huh? We believe as Methodists that we are born and given this prevenient grace, God's love offered to us at the very beginning, that we do absolutely nothing to earn. A grace that is offered to every single person. It's why we baptize infants, and inevitably. Along our life's journey, we push God away. We make mistakes. We fall short. Yet God's grace is still offered to each of us. We still have an opportunity to reconcile, to draw near to God again. I'm so glad we are diving deeper into Paul's letters because Paul isn't A perfect character. He never really even apologizes to the Corinthians. He has a lot of excuses. He for sure admits what he's done wrong, but he doesn't really try to relate to them or seek their forgiveness. Paul is flawed and it's because of his flaws that we are able to learn from him. As he begins to work to reconciliation with these people in his own special way, we learn what it means to set aside our pride and to build bridges with one another. As Paul seeks this reconciliation, he addresses some of the issues he's had with the Corinthians. Remember earlier I said that they, may, they think Paul may be a fraud they actually asked in a letter to Paul to prove that he was a real minister of Jesus Christ. And this is how Paul responded. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3. Are we starting to commend ourselves again? We don't need letters of introduction to you or from you like other people, do we? You are our letter written on our hearts known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. You weren't written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. You weren't written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul turns their question, their need for proof, on its head by pointing it back at them. This is Paul's way of enforcing reconciliation, of moving toward reconciliation. He reminds them that they are the living examples of his ministry. They are the living examples of how to best follow Jesus in the world. This is Paul's funny way of saying he's proud of them, that he's proud of this community And that he has faith that they can continue to follow Jesus better. The work of reconciliation is difficult. Often we have to humble ourselves. Often we have to acknowledge our mistakes. Often we have to make space for the other side of the story. In these first three chapters, Paul begins that process a process of working toward reconciliation. In the coming weeks, as we do a deeper dive of this book, we will see Paul challenge this community while still finding space to come alongside them and nurture them too. I look forward to doing a deeper dive into this letter with all of you in the coming weeks and may we work to find ways to bring about reconciliation in the world and in the situations around each of us. Today, we actually have an opportunity to practice reconciliation right here and now. Part of Holy Communion is recognizing the ways that we fall short, and we are invited at this table to open up ourselves again to the mystery of God, to the mystery of faith. Let's meet each other at the table this morning as we partake in Holy Communion.